0: A biblical Christian is the only kind of Christian. For 2,000 years, it's been that way. And we who love Jesus need to place ourselves under the authority of the Scripture, unwrap it, read it, and apply it to our lives today.
1: Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. You know, the Bible contains many treasures that once discovered can transform your life. One of those treasures is recognizing the authority the Bible carries. On today's broadcast, we begin a brand new series called Unwrapped. With more on this, here's David in part one of a message called The Inspired Word of God.
0: We're beginning a series today on the Bible. It's a five-part series. I want you to fall in love with this book. I want it to be the authoritative rule of faith and practice in your life. I want you to love it like the early church did. They were sometimes derisively but always called people of the book. They believed the Bible to be true. So I'm going to give you in a five-part series reasons to believe the Bible is the Word of God and hopefully it to become a big part of your hearts so that your faith can grow deeply in Jesus. Hope you had some great Christmas gifts given to you. As the video suggested, what would you think about having received this Christmas gift An anti-static ceramic creates smooth, sleek styles and trying to straighten your hair without having unwrapped it. That would be pretty dumb, wouldn't it? Or let's say that you got a black touch accent lamp. Isn't that cool? Put it next to your bed, but never unwrap it. Never take it out of the box. You'd be really dumb and rightly accused so. Or let's move it into a realm I love. Ah, You get a basketball for Christmas. Man, I love hoops. Go outside on the pavement, want to begin playing, and you get it and that'd be pretty dumb, wouldn't it? You need to unwrap the ball from the box in order to enjoy it. Or finally, what would you think if you got a brand-new Bible? given to you by a loved one and you never unwrap it, what good is it? It's only useful if you unwrap it and you read it. This series' purpose is to challenge all of us to unwrap the Word of God and to read it. But before doing so, I think we need to understand that there really is only one kind of Christian. He or she's a biblical Christian. It's someone who has placed themselves under the authority of the word of God. It's not someone who lets culture interpret the scripture. It's not someone who lets their personal opinions interpret the scripture. A biblical Christian is the only kind of Christian. For 2,000 years, it's been that way. And we who love Jesus need to place ourselves under the authority of the Scripture, unwrap it, read it, and apply it to our lives today. I believe the Bible is the only infallible rule of all faith and practice. The early church has believed that, and it has been the teaching of the faithful church for 2,000 years. Now, there are some churches that aren't faithful. Personally, and I'll get into this more later on in the series, if you're in a church like that, you need to leave it. That's a false teacher. It's not someone under the authority of the Scripture. I and this church believes that this is the Word of God. We believe that it can be proven in its historical context, We believe that it can be proven in the archaeological context. There's been no archaeological discovery in the last hundreds of years that have ever disproved one teaching of the Word of God. Not one. And also the amazing unity of the Scripture. That's next week's message. Come, and in 35 minutes, I'm going to take you from Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22. (laughs) I'll give you an overview in 35 minutes of the amazing unity of the Word of God. But really, to believe in the Word of God includes an historical, archaeological, and unified understanding of the Scripture. But mostly, a belief in the Word of God, in my opinion, revolves around this most important question. And until you answer this question accurately, you'll never believe the Bible is the Word of God. Here's the question Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I believe, primarily, the Bible is the Word of God because Jesus did. And Jesus claimed to be God. If Jesus is God, then we've got to have God's view toward His Word. So let's begin today's message with this whole question of who is Jesus. And I want to take you through just one place in the Gospel of John where Jesus makes seven I Am statements. Uh, In the burning bush experience with Moses in Exodus 3, when Moses asked the burning bush, God himself, whom should I tell Pharaoh is sending me? And of course, the answer is, tell him, I am who I am is sending you. That term, I am, for God, Yahweh, was the unutterable phrase for Jews. God was so holy, they wouldn't even mention that name. Yet you're going to see in just a moment Jesus using that I am phrase in seven different occasions, just in the Gospel of John alone, to describe his identity. Who is Jesus? You must answer that question before we get into the Word of God. Listen to these amazing I am statements from Jesus. He said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 8:12 Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. In John 10:9 Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In John 10:11 Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, notice he did not use the article A or an. He used the article the, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What an audacious claim. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is just in John alone. If you want to go to the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those same kind of extraordinary claims are there. If you look at the rest of the New Testament and the apostles and the early church, they all believed that Jesus was God in human flesh. In fact, in the early church, when Caesar started persecuting the church, he wanted all Christians to say, Caesar est curios," which means Caesar is Lord. And of course, Christians refused to. That's why the persecution came. And in the catacombs, when they were hiding from the persecution, you can see etched on the walls many times Christians writing, Jesus Christos est curios. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the issue. Who is Jesus? Now you have, in my opinion, four different options. First of all, Jesus was lying when he said he was God. He was just lying to us. But the problem with that is, for two thousand years, his teachings have brought truth. To civilizations and individuals, it makes no sense to say that which brings truth is rooted in the lie. Second option, he was a crazy man, a deluded dreamer. But the problem with that is his teachings for the last 2,000 years to cultures and to individuals has brought sanity to the insane, has given hope to the despairing. It makes no sense that that which brings life is rooted in craziness. The third option is the early church made it up. They so wanted this message of Jesus' hope to remain alive that they made up the resurrection and the whole teaching that Jesus has God. But here's the problem with that teaching. Jesus' apostles of the 12, 11 died a martyr's death. John was exiled on the island of Patmos for the rest of his life in persecution by the emperor. The early church, gave thousands upon thousands of martyrs to the cause of christ now now here's the problem what sane person suffers martyrdom beatings scourgings lions whatever for what they know is a lie now people will die for what they think is the truth and is a lie like driving airplanes into a building and thinking that's going to give you heaven that's a lie but they think it's true they'll give their lives for it but no one (laughs) gives their life for what they know is a lie. I can't speak for you, but let me tell you, if I'd been living in the early church and I knew that the whole idea of Jesus being God had been made up, the first lash that whips into my back, the first drop of boiling oil that scalds my skin, the first trap door that's opened and the voracious lion starts to run toward me, here's what I do just kidding made it up not true people don't give their lives for what they know is a lie so if jesus wasn't lying to us and he wasn't a lunatic and if it's not a legend that the early church made up there's only one other option that he is who he says he is and every single one of us today must answer that question who's jesus If you say he's just a good man, a moral philosopher, you don't, first of all, have the right to say that because that's not what he said about himself. But secondly, if you choose that, you're doing so at the potential cost of your eternal life. You see, what the Bible teaches is God so loved this world and saw us in our alienation from him and our rebellion against him that he entered into this world and called himself Jesus. His name means Savior. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And he lived 33 years perfectly under the righteous requirements of the law. Then he went to the cross and accepted the penalty for our deaths upon himself, something he didn't deserve. That should have been our cross. Those should have been our wounds. That should have been our separation from the Father when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But because of love, the Father died on the cross to give us the forgiveness of our sins through the Savior by grace through faith and not of our works, just as a free gift because he loves us that much. And now through him, we're reattached to the Father in an eternal relationship. Mm. Such amazing grace, such amazing love. The early church believed that. People who read the Bible today believe it. Jesus is God. So. If you've arrived at the conclusion like i have that jesus is god it's what he claimed it's what he believed then you've got to have jesus who's god's view toward his word right so if jesus is god you've got to have jesus view first of all toward the old testament the old testament is genesis through malachi in jesus day Based on evidence we have archaeologically, especially from the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Qumran community that existed right outside Jerusalem, they had that book from Genesis through Malachi as their word. And faithful Jews in that day believed Genesis through Malachi was the word of God. Jesus did too. When he debated with the Pharisees, for example, he would constantly quote the Old Testament scripture. He would say, it is. Is written. When he debated with the devil in the temptation narrative, in one of those situations, the devil said, Hey, turn that stone into bread. Show everyone how powerful you really are. Do you remember Jesus' response? It is written. Then he quoted from Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter Man and woman, don't live by bread alone but by every, anybody remember, what? Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. People really live by believing in the word of God. So Jesus refuted the temptations of the devil with the word of God. He obviously believed the Bible to be true. But probably one of the most fascinating places where Jesus proves his view toward the Old Testament as being the word of God, is in his resurrection appearance to two disciples walking forlornly after his death on the cross from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a four to eight hour journey. We don't know exactly where Emmaus was in that day, but it's somewhere between four and eight hours. Those two disciples, maybe a husband and wife, maybe a father and son, we don't really know. But those disciples were saddened by the death of Jesus. They thought for three and a half years they'd given their lives to him, now it was over. And on that journey home, between four to eight hours, a stranger comes to them. And in Luke, the 24th chapter, verse 27, we see these words. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this stranger, whom they did not know who he was, walked alongside them for those four to eight hours... And he began to unfold how everything from Genesis through Malachi pointed to him. (laughs) Now, one of the things I'm really looking forward to in heaven is going to God's store where we can check out a video if we still do that in heaven (laughs) and getting this story and watching it. I don't know exactly what happened, but I think it went something like this. The stranger said to them, oh, in Genesis 1 and 2, when all the world was created, I was the one who created it. That was me who spoke the word. And in Genesis 3, after sin had entered the world and permeated all parts of God's original order, in Genesis three fifteen, the prophecy, the first prophecy in the Bible that says one will come who will crush the head of the serpent who will destroy the enemy, Satan. That was talking about me. That was talking about me. And in Genesis 14, when Melchizedek came and talked to Abraham as a high priest out of Jerusalem, that was a precursor, a foreshadowing of me as the ultimate high priest who offers offerings as a mediator between you and God. In Genesis 17 and 18, when the angel comes and appears to Abraham and Sarah and after 25 years of long waiting, says to them, next year at this time, you'll have a son. That was me. That was me. I said that to them. And in Genesis 22, when Moses was getting ready to offer his son Isaac as an offering An angel of the Lord appeared and offered a ram instead. That angel (laughs) was me. That was me. And in Genesis 49, when there's a prophecy of a scepter being given to a king out of the Lion of Judah, that wasn't just about King David. That was through David's lineage to me. That was a prophecy about me. And in that burning bush... In Exodus 3, when Moses asked, God, what's your name so I can tell Pharaoh? And God responded, tell Pharaoh my name is I am who I am. That was my voice. I'm the one who said that to Moses. And in Exodus 13 and 14, when the tabernacle was being built, I built that tabernacle because I'm at the center of it. My very presence in the cloud was the glory in that tabernacle. That
1: was all about me. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about this morning's Moment of Hope. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning, your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church.
1: I'm Jen Houston, thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. It's
0: always wonderful being with you as well, Jen.
1: Well, David, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote about some great parenting advice. Can you share that with us today?
0: I can. Uh, It's from Proverbs 22, 6, an often quoted verse in the Bible, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this often quoted scripture, I think, is maybe misunderstood in some places. Places where it says the way he should go does not necessarily mean obedience to whatever the parents ask, though that's a nice result and I think should happen. But I think the real meaning of the Hebrew phrase, the way he should go, refers to a child's particular bent. Bent means their interests, desires, and passions. What then is the primary job of the parent? If that's the right interpretation of Proverbs 22, 6, I think it's for us as parents to find out our kids' interests, desires, passions, longings, dreams, and goals, help them in every possible way to pursue what they really want to chase in life, how God has wired them, Mm -hmm. their God-given talents and gifts. So for example, I have three kids and each one of them had a different bent. My Bethany loved languages and learning. So we put her in an environment where she could prosper Well, at the end of her high school years, she won the language award at her high school and is fluent in English, French, and Spanish. She prospered because she was flowing in her giftedness. Mm -hmm. My middle son, David, started throwing socks into lampshades (laughs) when he was two years old. Duh. Guess what he loved to do? He ended up being six feet, nine inches tall. We put him in every environment possible, even in spite of several bad knee injuries, to help him succeed, and he earned a four-year scholarship to college to play basketball Mm -hmm. and is doing so well today. Our son Michael tried to copy the basketball bent, didn't have it, but because he got cut as a seventh grader in his middle school basketball tryouts, he jumped in a swimming pool Mm -hmm. and started swimming and swimming. Well, bingo. Marilyn and I said, this kid loves to swim. (laughs) So we put him in every possible swimming environment we could. Mm -hmm. He became a world-class, indeed a world-record setting relay team member Mm -hmm. swimmer and had a scholarship to college as well. All our kids love Jesus, Jen, to this day. And Marilyn and I are convinced it's, yes, because we exemplified and taught Jesus in our home, but even more so it was because we helped them discover their bent put them in those environments to succeed. And when God then used them in the natural bentness that he gave them, they wanted to love that God even more, the one who gave them these gifts.
1: Well, I am completely inspired as a mom just hearing these stories and I'm just thinking about my children now and what do they do in their free time? And I'm, I want to sneak peek in that. And I know my son loves water, any kind of flowing water coming out of the faucet, in the tub, in the creek. And I'm just curious, will he become an engineer? And I have no idea. So this is really, really encouraging. Well, a
0: part of the fun is exploring that with him and putting him in environments where he goes, yeah, I really love that. Or ones where he goes, I don't think I love that so much. And you've got to watch. You've got to be involved. You've got to ask questions. And as you do so, then you naturally find the ultimate place where he should be.
1: This is really exciting. Thank you so much for these thoughts today, David. Well,
0: thank you, Jen. I hope it helps all of you listeners out there who are parents as well. And if you'd like to receive these daily written Moments of Hope from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there free of charge for my heart to yours every morning at 7 a.m. in your inbox to give your day a moment of hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10am at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for godly wisdom for the leaders in our city.